Well, this is the last week uh, in our series that uh, we've called uh, My Story. And our desire these last several weeks has really been very simple. I want to give you two things that we have repeatedly said over the last couple weeks. I'll say it again today. Two things. The story we live today is a result of the decisions that we've made in the past. That story that you're living right now, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, I guarantee you, it is based on the decisions that you made in the past. And here's the second thing that we've said over and over again. We'll say it again today. The story we live until tomorrow is going to be determined by the decisions that you make today. Be careful of the decisions that you're making today because that's going to be part of the story that you're going to tell uh, tomorrow. Week one, we decided to start. And we challenged you to start something, to start a discipline that would help to begin to define the story that you're going to tell in the future. And week two, Jerry talked about uh, us deciding to stop. All of us have destructive behaviors, destructive habits, things that we do that are leading us in a direction that ultimately we will not be happy with the destination. And for some of us, we need to stop doing some of those things. On week three, we challenged you to decide to go. In a real simple way, we said, um, hey, what we'd love for you to do, some of you, you just need to take a little bit of risk. Now, I wish I could tell some stories about some of the risk that's been taken over the last few weeks. I've had people that have texted me and told me about the risk that they've taken. I had one person that actually asked me, what type of risk do you think that I should take? And I didn't tell them, but they took that risk anyway. And we were telling you basically to step out of your comfort zone and to be willing to go. And then last week, uh, Jerry uh, talked about committing yourself to stay. Oftentimes, sometimes, the most easy thing to do is to just simply go, to vacate. And we've challenged you last week that for some of us, we need to make the decision to stay, even though walking away may be easier. Well, we were talking uh, as a staff uh, a few weeks ago, and we decided that we thought it would be uh, really good uh, to do a fifth week. And we really want to focus on uh, family relationships this morning and this whole idea of staying rather than going. And really, more specifically, we want to focus in on uh, marriage. Now, one of the most uh, important decisions that some of us ever make is a decision to stay in relationship with family members. I know some of you, very few of you, are blessed and you can't think of anybody in your family that you'd like to be out of relationship with. All right, I just say that because after 28 years of pastoral ministry, I recognize most of us live in families that aren't perfect. Maybe you do, right? And we've all got those people, usually we call them the crazy uncles, all right? But we've got more than just the crazy uncle where we just go, I'd really rather not be in relationship with this particular person. And even with our families, we make decisions that we're just gonna kind of step out of that relationship. We're gonna leave rather than be engaged with that particular family members. Maybe you've decided, in fact, to walk away from a family member. I want to challenge you this morning that maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Maybe you need to stay in that relationship for the purpose of influence. 
Maybe you decided they've hurt me one too many times and I simply don't want to deal with it or with them anymore and so you've decided to move on. Maybe that wasn't the wisest decision. Maybe you need to stay in that relationship rather than leaving. There are some of us that are here today in a group this size and and you've lived or are living with the consequences of the decisions of your parents. Uh, One or both of them made a decision to go rather than to stay, to do the hard work that was necessary in order to have a a good marriage. They made a decision to, to vacate, to leave, and you're left with the consequences of their decisions that you had nothing to do with. I want to say to you this morning that while it's disappointing that you're affected by the decisions uh, that you don't control, I want to remind you that while these circumstances might certainly help to explain who you are right at this moment, those things do not have to define you in the days and years ahead. You can still decide to do things a lot differently. It's been interesting to me that over the course of my years in ministry, I have done dozens and dozens, in fact, it may be in the hundreds now, of weddings. And um, it's been interesting to me that I've married couples before who have come from very tragic home situations where a mom and a dad or, or both a mom or a dad decided that they would walk out, that they would leave. And these young couples have determined that that, while it may explain where I am, it doesn't need to define my life. And they've made the decision to have great marriages. Uh, and that story doesn't have to uh, define you. It can simply explain you. Uh, some of you that are here this morning are living with the consequences of the decision of a husband or a wife deciding to go. You were willing to stay. You were willing to do the hard work, to work on your marriage. Um, And yet that other person decided that they would do the easy and the most comfortable thing. And they decided to leave. And you have felt, or in some cases, maybe even as I'm speaking here this morning, you are feeling as if your life is simply spinning out of control. And sometimes it's not just the emotional pain. What I have dealt with in the last several years as we started Northwest is realizing and recognizing that for many of you, especially women that find themselves in those circumstances, it becomes not just an emotional turmoil, not just a spiritual turmoil that they're in, but it also becomes uh, a deep, deep, tragic event financially for you. And maybe that's where you find yourself uh, this morning. I want you to know that in a fallen, sinful world, that it is inevitable that we're going to see broken marriages and families. And I want you to also know that at Northwest Community Church, we are committed to help you carry that burden that you bear. Uh, I say that not just with words. There are people that are in this body, that were in the first service, that are in this service, and you know that I mean what I say. We will walk that road with you. We will help carry that burden. Those are not just words that we speak lightly. And we want to pray that God will show himself to be faithful to you both now and in the days to come. And I want you to be fully convinced that God is good and that he is wise, and that he's not forgotten you. It's very important to me that I say that at the outset because I recognize that my words have weight, 
and that what I say uh, for some of you can be taken in a very different way if I don't acknowledge that I realize and recognize that some of you are sitting here and you have that pain that you're dealing with in your life right at this particular moment. I wanna say to you that one of the greatest burdens that we carry as pastors, as elders, as a staff, is the crisis that many of you are facing in your marriages. And some of you might not characterize your marriage as being in crisis, and that is because you have simply accepted the fact that you are miserable, that you're always going to be miserable, that divorce is not an option for you, not because you want to stay, but because you couldn't possibly leave, maybe just simply because of your kids, maybe because, as one couple told me not too long ago, we can't even afford to get divorced. We'd like to, but we can't afford it. Some of you might not characterize your marriage as being in crisis, but the very fact that you have gotten to the point where you have just decided that it's okay to be miserable, that God couldn't ever step in and do something big in your relationship with your husband or your wife, tells me that your marriage this morning is in crisis. And I want to tell you today that I believe that God can do something about that. There are some couples that are sitting here this morning and you've either given up and you're ready to leave or certainly if you're not ready at this particular moment, you've thought about that possibility of walking out on your husband or your wife. You've become convinced that leaving is the only option, and if it's not the only option, you've certainly convinced yourself that it's the best option. You believe, some of you, that you deserve a lot better than the circumstances that you find yourself in at this particular moment. You believe that you deserve to be treated differently, that you deserve to be appreciated and loved in a more significant way than you are being loved right now. For some of you, your husband or your wife has broken uh, your marriage vows. Uh, they made those vows to you not only before God, but before other witnesses, and they have thrown those to the side and they have violated that marriage vow. They've committed adultery. And you, even though you know what's gone on, it's been exposed, maybe there are some of you here this morning and you're committing adultery right now and it's not been exposed, ultimately it will be exposed and the other spouse is gonna be left with the dilemma, do I forgive them? Can I forgive them? Some of you are tired of giving and receiving nothing in return from your husband or your wife. And for others of you, it really boils down to something simply like this. You just want peace. And you believe that the only way that you're gonna have peace in your life and in your home, that you're gonna actually be able to move forward in your life is for you to go. Now, I know that's pretty heavy, but if you find yourself thinking one or more of those thoughts this morning or something similar to those thoughts, I want you to hear this story today. In 2008, we moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan for a five-year residency program for Matt. So our time in Michigan was extremely stressful. As much joy as there was with our little kids and how awesome it was to watch them grow, at the end of the day, there was extreme loneliness in our home. And we feel like we just gotta hold on till this residency is over. As long as we both hold on, we'll be okay. And now I see that was a huge mistake. 
Uh, it was a lot of drifting apart, a lot of focus on work for me and kids for Steph. We eventually just drifted further and further and became more and more separate in our lives. And I really felt like I was loving him best by letting him do his job at the hospital and not really ask for too much more at home. And that created a wider divide between my role and his role and collectively put a wedge between our family as a whole. I felt that I was failing in both places. I couldn't devote enough time at work and I knew I wasn't devoting enough time or being anything I needed to be at home. Just gradually devolved into a more frustrated, angrier individual and angry at home and yelling at the kids. And I started to notice a big change in him. He started to become someone that was unrecognizable to me. Matt would be gone for days at work and come home. I'd have a room full of kids excited to see him and he would walk from the front door to the back bedroom, get in bed and we wouldn't see him again. He'd wake up, go back to work and that was it. One of my biggest regrets is letting my pride get in the way. There are men who would have spoken into his life if I had allowed anybody to know. But if I allowed somebody to know, then I really would have had to face it myself. And it was just easier to just wall it off, push it down, and just keep going. You know, there's a lot of pride on my part, too, because nobody wants to admit when they're not the person uh, they want to be. All the while, you know, everything's kind of crumbling around you, and my heart had just been so hardened over the past few years to Stephanie and to God. I was just so far away from any semblance of faith uh, that I once had. I started to have some serious suspicions about just where Matt was spending his time and who he was spending it with. And eventually, my suspicions were confirmed. And along with that, though, of course, came rage and anger and hurt and shame. relief, which is crazy. And so there was a, a part of me, I was just waiting for my key, my ticket out, my excuse so that I could take my kids and we could start over. I felt like maybe we have a chance. Maybe we can build this life where we have a dad who's just going to pour into them, a husband who thinks I'm enough. Well, undoubtedly, there are some of you that are here uh, this morning, and in one aspect or another, that's where you are today. You're right where Stephanie found herself a few years ago. James wrote in James uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he, he, he asked this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. And I really believe that's it. Conflict happens because we are at the very core. We're selfish people. We want things our way. We want what we want, and we think we have the right to take it if necessary. 
If we're not happy, then we believe that we have the right to do whatever it takes to be happy. More than one man has said that. I deserve to be happy, and so whatever it takes to make me happy, it doesn't matter if it violates my marriage vow. It doesn't matter if it violates what God has told me to be. I have a right to be happy. We act as if everyone should see things the way we see them, We get upset when someone does not recognize our rights, our desires, our opinions. And certainly if someone hurts us, we believe that we have the right to justice at any cost. You see, conflict is the result of competing interest. It is selfishness. And the remedy is simple. Stop looking out for yourself. It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you or I prefer. The question is, ultimately, who's going to sacrifice in a marriage? Who actually, one of the two or both, is going to humble themselves? In fact, what the Apostle Paul said, what should matter, according to him, is that we should strive to be like Jesus. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It really all comes down to this. Are you a God-centered spouse or a me-centered spouse? In one sense, what my spouse says or does or doesn't do is almost irrelevant. Every decision that you and I make, every word that we utter, every thought that we think, every movement that we make, is to flow out of one holy motivation, and that is reverence to God. It is putting ourselves in a position where we love someone else with the same love that has been shown to us by a holy, perfect God. And that really is the simple yet very biblical solution to most problems in marriages. I told you just a few weeks ago that for most of you, any conflict that you have in your marriage... I can help you resolve it in about 10 minutes. I should be able to make a fortune doing this, right? Considering what marriage counselors charge. And it is this, that we love each other the way that we have been loved. And that love, if you've been around Northwest in any length of time, we talk about it all the time, it is that great Greek word that Greek philosophers knew very little about, that they never included it in their literature because they said it was impossible for human beings to love this way, and yet it is the love that God has for us and the love that he tells us to have for one another. It is that word agape, a love that forgives in spite of the hurt that has been caused. There aren't too many weddings that I do that I don't make this statement, and so I'm going to read it to you this morning. Romantic emotional love between a husband and wife ebbs and flows, and sometimes it disappears altogether. If all you have is romantic love, let me tell you this, you're going to fall in and out of love, right? (laughs) That's going to be your life. That's going to mark your life. If all it is is romantic, emotional love, you will fall in and out of love all the time because it ebbs and flows. And sometimes it disappears altogether for a period of time. 
But the love that God specifically asked husbands and wives to have for one another is agape love. Love like his own undeserved love for us. Love that is based on a willful choice on behalf of the one loved. Regardless of emotions, attraction, or deserving, or get this, how you feel. Romantic love enhances and beautifies the marriage relationship. And I am very thankful for romantic love. Can I get an amen from any man in the room? Yeah, a couple of you are. The rest of you, hey, come to the other side of the fence. It's good, all right? We love that. That's an important part of how God designed us to be. It enhances and beautifies the marriage relationship, but the binding force of a Christian marriage is God's own kind of love, the love that loves because it's its divine nature to love. It's the love of giving and not getting. And even when it ceases to get, it continues to give. Aren't you glad that God loves us that way? That he doesn't wait for us to love him back and be all lovable because most of us really aren't that lovable. But God says, I am going to love you. Scripture says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us in that way. That's agape love. It continues to give even though it gets nothing in return. Let me say this to you, that restoration and healing in a marriage always begins when you make a decision to stay. Watch the second part of the story. And so there was a, a part of me, I was just waiting for my key, my ticket out, my excuse so that I could take my kids and we could start over. I felt like maybe we have a chance. Maybe we can build this life where we have a dad who's just gonna pour into them, a husband who thinks I'm enough. I had no idea that God was gonna provide all of that in him. I remember saying to him, um, in 10 years your kids are gonna ask, Dad, did you try? And I, I know you don't care, and I know you don't wanna be here, but I need you to be able to say yes that yes, we went to marriage counseling, and yes, I spoke with my pastor. I don't care what comes of it, but I need you to be able to tell them that you did those things. So that was something that, that really had an impact on me. Um, despite everything that was going on with me, and, and I, I finally received that. Um, and that was kind of the, the beginning. Uh, beginning back. So as we started over the summer, spending more time with our pastor and spending more time in couples counseling and following the advice and recommendations of others, it did not take long at all for me to see a huge change in that. One, for the simple fact that he was there with me. He was willing to try. He was hearing what was being spoken to him by others, and he was receiving it. There was this deep love for the kids that we had not seen in a very long time. This is a terrible part of our story, but where we are at today is something 
so beautiful, I mean truly more than I dared to ask or imagine. And I guarantee there is no way we could have gotten to where we are today without being brought through what we were brought through. One of the coolest things I've ever heard one of my kids say was um, one of their friend's parents were divorced and one of our other kids was asking what that meant. One of our older kids said, oh, well, you don't ever have to worry about that. And our younger daughter said, well, why not? And our older daughter said, because our mom and dad are best friends. that awesome? I love stories like that. Let me say to you that not giving up doesn't just mean that we're going to stay and not going to divorce. Not giving up means that we're going to start doing some of the things that we know we should be doing. That's what some of you need to do right now. You need to start doing some of the things that you know you should be doing. Some of which you've never done in your marriage, you need to start doing those things. For some of you, it means that you're going to stop some of the things that you've been doing because those are just the things that have created the mess that you find your marriage to be in today. But restoration and healing always begins when you decide that you are going to stay. When you decide that your marriage is worth fighting for, that you're going to do whatever it takes, that divorce is not an option. I think Stephanie said it so well, and I love this, and I wrote it down. She said, in 10 years, your kids are going to ask, did you try? You need to be able to say yes. And some of you need to make that decision today that you're going to do your best to stay and to try and to do the things that you know you need to do in order to have the marriage that God intends for you to, do, to, to be in. Do you know that God designed for marriage to be an awesome picture of his love for his church? Uh, I, I think some of us have been so miserable in our marriages for so long that you can't even imagine what it would be like to enjoy the kind of marriage that you thought one day when you stood there at the altar and you committed your life to that person till death do you part. You've been so miserable for so long that you've forgotten that it could actually be anything but miserable. And I'm here to tell you this morning that yes, God wants your marriage to be for his glory as a picture of his love for his church. Yes, he wants it to be that. Scripture is very clear about that. But you know what? God also wants you to be satisfied and to love being in that most significant relationship that you could ever experience on this planet. And he wants it to be great. That'd be a great place for a couple of amens or yes or you know, tell us, bring us, give us more. Something like that. Anybody that wants to do that, just shout it out right now. You can do that. Thank you. A few woohoos. I'll take that too. I want to talk just for a few minutes as I land the plane about what it would be like to move back into a marriage, toward a marriage that was the way that you imagined it could be 
and the way that God intends for it to be. As I said earlier, I've done a lot of weddings, right? And I've stood there. I mean, the pastor like gets the most incredible opportunity to be right in front of these two people that are madly in love with each other. At least they think that that's what it is at that particular moment. And the things that they say to one another, some of which I can't repeat, uh, the looks that they give each other, these middle school guys are going, please don't even talk about that, that's disgusting. Trust me, it'll be good one day, all right? It will be, it'll happen. And I know that nobody enters into a marriage going, in a few years, I'm gonna be miserable, but today I'm happy, so I'll commit myself to you for the rest of our lives. What a stupid decision that would be, right? Nobody does that. Everybody thinks it's going to be awesome. Everybody thinks it's going to be great. And so what does it take to get back to that place? If you have your Bible, turn real quickly over to Revelation chapter 2. That's where we typically go for marriage counseling, right? Revelation. Typically think of the book of Revelation as that's where we're going to go for great truth as it relates to marriage. John's writing to, to churches, Verse one starts out, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. That's gonna help your marriage right there, all right? Memorize those two verses, that's good. Verse three, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You're doing a lot of really great things. The church at Ephesus probably had their chest puffed out a little bit and said, yes, we are. The ministry is is quite successful, thank you. And then in verse four, it says, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. (laughs) And then in verse five, for any pastor, no matter how much experience he has, there's a There's three little words that they just preach, right? Look at them. Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent, you got two R's, right? We only need a third one. And in the Brian Eisner revised standard version, we have that. It is repeat. In other words, do the works you did at first. Now I know this letter was written to a local church there in Ephesus about abandoning their deep love for Jesus That's certainly the application here, but I believe it has application for us, those of us that are married here this morning as well. The Ephesians were busy doing a lot of good things. And while they may have been busy doing a lot of good things, the most important thing that they had been tasked to do, they had neglected, they had forgotten, they had left that. What was that? It was their passionate love that they were to have for Jesus. They'd forgotten that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that's exactly what happens in so many of our marriages. We get busy doing things, some of which are not necessarily bad. Sometimes they are bad, don't get me wrong. In a lot of cases that I deal with, we are doing bad things. Sometimes, though, we're not necessarily doing bad things, but we neglect the things that matter most. 
If you're here this morning and you are living in a relationship, married with your husband or with your wife, the most significant relationship that you are to have on this planet, not your vertical relationship with God, but on this planet is your relationship with your husband or your wife. That is the most important, significant relationship that you have. You say, well, what about my kids? Second. What? Second? I know because many of you have taken your life and the kids have become the center of your life. God never intended for it to be that way. If you worship your kids this morning and if your life totally revolves around your kids, shame on you, okay? This is one of those Sundays where some of you are gonna get mad at me, all right? You'll love me again in a week or two, all right? But right now you're gonna be mad at me. I'm just telling you, that is not the way God intended for it to be. You and your spouse are in a, in a you just picture yourselves, you're in, you're in a circle like this when you get married and then a child comes along and we have a tendency to do what? Put them right in the center. Oh, look at, he's so cute. He's not really that cute, right? He looks like every other baby. She's just like every other baby. She's got little toes. She's got a nose. Her nose is not any cuter than my kid's nose was, all right? But you put him right in the center of the circle and you begin to worship that child. Bad, bad, bad. Don't do that. What do you do? You open up the circle, right? I've still got my wife's hand here. I open up the circle. That child joins the circle. They are not the most important thing. You better, women, learn to love your husbands well. And guys, lest you think I'm gonna let you off the hook, you know me well enough to know I'm not gonna let you do that. You better love your wife more than you love your kids. And they'll be better and you'll love your kids better when you love your spouse the way God intended for it to be. They are part of the circle. They are not the center of the circle. And one of the reasons why we get into the problems that we get into is we, we stop loving our spouse the way that we once did. And the simple steps back to the right place are actually quite easy if we are willing. And there's three R's. Number one, you need to remember. You need to remember. Remember, I took you to the altar about where we are, you know, when we're standing there in the front of this couple and they're saying all these sweet nothings and, and you know, all this stuff that I can't repeat on a Sunday morning and they're saying all this stuff and they're, mm, and they're so in love and life is so good and life is so grand and can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. You're so wonderful. There's no other man like you. And I'm going, yes, there is. There's a lot that are better than him actually, but she thinks that they're awesome, right? Here's what you gotta do. You got to get back to the place where you remember that because I guarantee you for almost all of you, there was a point when that was you. You thought, man, she was the most beautiful thing that your eyes had ever encountered. And you thought he was the biggest manliest man that there could ever be and that he was going to love you and protect you and everything was awesome. And he was so romantic and so otherwise you wouldn't have married him. You got to remember that. You got to remember what that was like. And I realize, I recognize, I talked to a guy after the first service. Some of you have really never been in that place. But for the most part, most of us have been. You need to remember what that was like. And then number two, and probably most importantly, is you need to repent of the things that you have done, that you have been part of, that have caused you to leave that first love. You've got to repent of those things. Any change in the life of a Christ follower, or anybody really for that matter, 
begins when we agree that what we have done, said, an attitude that we have had has been wrong. And you agree with God and his assessment of those things in your life. And then you move in a new direction. You've heard me say it before. You cannot change what you do not acknowledge. For some of you, the greatest thing that you could do today is to acknowledge what you've done and your role, not your spouse's role. And if they would just do this and if they would just do this, remember, if you love with pure agape, it doesn't matter what they do. It's all about what you do and your responsibility to love them completely as you have been loved completely. You need to repent. And then number three, third R, is you just simply need to repeat. Guys, whatever it is that you did to get her to the point where she took that ring and put it on her finger and then stood before a a pastor, a justice of the peace, Elvis, if you got married out in Vegas, whatever. Whatever it was that you did to get her to that point, you need to repeat those things. You need to go back and do those things again so that you can enjoy the love that you once had for one another. You know, I know this to be true. I said it earlier, that whatever that story is that you want to tell in the future, it really just might begin today with the decision that you make to stay rather than to go. And deciding to stay today rather than going uh, could be the catalyst which moves you to a story that is worth telling in the weeks, the months, the years, maybe even the decades ahead. And you know what? If Matt and Stephanie's story does anything, it should convince you of this that God delights in making beautiful things out of the messes that we make. And I am so glad for that, aren't you? That no matter what I do, because while I love Jesus and I want my heart to be totally focused upon him, I find myself, as the apostle Paul says, doing the things that I know I shouldn't do and the things that I should do I'm not doing, and I make a mess out of things. (laughs) And yet God says, I'm going to take that mess. And in my sovereign, omnipotent hands, I'm going to shape it. I'm going to mold it into something beautiful. That's what God delights in doing. That's what he wants to do in your marriage today, beginning today. He wants it to be beautiful. Yeah, he wants it to be a, uh, to, to bring glory to him. That's what it's a picture of, of his love for the church. But he wants it to be deeply satisfying and fulfilling to you as well. I'll just end where we began five weeks ago. The decisions that you and I make today are undoubtedly going to determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Make sure that you're making good decisions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... your word and there's so many principles that you've given us if we just simply apply them our marriages could be so much different they're not difficult they're difficult to do but they're not difficult to understand we just need to make a decision to do what we know to be right and God I pray right now that you would use your spirit 
And I pray that you would bring conviction in the heart of a husband or a wife that's here today. And right now their heart is hardened. It's been hardened for so long that even though they hear a story, even though they hear your word, and even though your spirit is knocking at the door, they're resisting like crazy. God, I pray that you'd convince them that the decisions, the choices that they're going to make today are undoubtedly going to determine the stories that they tell tomorrow. I pray you'd use your spirit to do a work, to draw us to a place where for many of us, we've never been before so that our marriages might bring honor and glory to you and deep satisfaction and pleasure to us as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.